Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. I hit record, so we're recording now. You're up. Tony Martinez, welcome. Thank you. Um, uh, it's been Hi. a pleasure knowing you for the last couple of years. I, we were just reminiscing off the off the camera here about our little steak dinner we had in New York a couple of weeks ago at Benjamin Prime. Just just incredible, uh, incredible food. But um, let's uh, just for for a, uh, just a quick intro. Can you just give us a, a three minute uh, introduction on your background, who you are, and then uh, we'll talk about okay. what you're up to. So I'm. Uh, I'm 56 years old. Uh, I'm an attorney. Uh, and six years ago, I had a heart attack. Uh, I'm type 2 diabetic. And I have a stent placed in my heart, one of my arteries. And after I got out of the hospital, I kind of, not I kind of, I, I, I really did a deep dive into, you know, what was making me fat, sick, and keeping me diabetic, despite all the uh, advice I'd been given by uh, doctors and uh, prescriptions that I was taking. And so I had, in the 90s, I had done some work with the late Dr. Robert Atkins. And I realized I kind of went back home uh, because now it had hit me in a very personal way. And so I saw the... Uh, documentary serial killers, uh, like serial, like in breakfast cereal. Uh, and uh, Tim Noakes, Professor Noakes, um, kind of also brought it back home for me. Uh, in the summer of 2014, I went on a, a ketogenic diet, and literally within 60 days, I had normalized my A1C for the first time in 12 years, and my doctor. Uh, started uh, taking me off medications. I kind of kid around. I said, in September of 2014, I stopped contributing to the $25 million plus salary of the CEO of Merck Pharmaceuticals because I didn't need the drugs anymore. And then I, as a lawyer and as someone who's very interested uh, in the whole public policy aspect, really wanted to, you know, work on uh addressing this from the legal public policy standpoint. And I've been doing that ever since. I basically have recovered. I'm, I've been off uh, my medications for five years now. Um, I'm at my college weight, clothing size. Uh, I've saved over $24,000 aggregate in prescription drugs that I no longer need to buy or my health insurance company needs to cover. And uh, I, I uh, upped the ante. Uh, in my um, in sort of playing playing the game out here, I um, I filed a statement of candidacy for an open New York State Senate seat in my district here in Ossining, New York, in the 38th Senate District, 
and uh, I'm running uh, in the Democratic primary. Uh, and, uh, you know, God willing, we'll see how that goes. But uh, my goal is to go to, to Albany to change public policy and start abusing um, food as medicine. I mean, New York is a state where our Medicaid uh, budget is in deficit by almost $6 billion. And the cost of diabetes annually is over $1.5 billion. And I know that if we just simply change the treatment approach, we can get patients off medication, we can get them into dietary remission of their type 2 diabetes, and we could start saving some real money or at least diverting money to other types of illnesses that really need uh, resources and attention. Uh, so it's a real mess that we're in with this uh, sickness care management system that we're in. And it's something that has to be done on a state level. It's not something that's going to be done at the federal government level. There are things that the federal government can do, but ultimately this is a state and local problem that we have to address. So I'll just start uh, from there. <laughs> yeah, Tony, I think that's, that's an important thing because people don't realize that a lot of politics and policy is done at the local level and you know how you make an impact is by doing that. And you're in that, I guess you're in that 38th, uh, senatorial district up in up in New York. And so that would make an impact in that district and in the state of New York itself. Um, a lot of folks feel that the government kind of lets us down with regard to, you know, healthcare and nutritional policy. And you know, obviously we all wring our hands at the USDA uh, as they come out with the food pyramid version 6.0 or whatever, whatever they've done now, they just keep repeating the same thing over and over again. And, and you as a guy who has done a low carb ketogenic and, and, and you know, almost a carnivore. carnivore. I'm a basically a 90, 10 carnivore. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. I, I have to admit, I, I, I deviated. I, I, I tried out uh, these things called shirataki noodles and it, it's a konjac root and it, it smells kind of gnarly because it in the bag, but when you wash it and you get rid of it, it really does have the consistency of pasta. And so I had a, um, a shirataki uh, noodle a carbonara that was just absolutely wonderful, you know, with the pancetta bacon and the, and the cream sauce and the Parmesan cheese and all of that. Uh, because everybody gets tired and they go, hey, man, all you eat are steaks? And I go, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's, 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 I mean, that's great. Like I said, I always say do it, do it, do, do it works for you best. But I mean, we obviously see a, uh, this diet has become politicized, you know, with this, particularly under the guise of saving the climate and where you, and I, you know, I see it as a, an issue to kind of push everybody more towards this processed food stuff. You know, we've got the plant-based stuff, you know, you and I talked about the, uh, what is it, de Blasio, the mayor of New York? Uh, yeah, with a ridiculous meatless Mondays. Like, yeah. uh, you know, that is actually a prescription to make our kids, uh, you know, fatter and obese with the kind of processed junk that they ultimately get served. And, uh, and then they, and a lot of them don't, I mean, the, the menus are not appealing. And it's, just, it's really unfortunate that you have that kind of dietary imposition when we should be giving kids uh, better food to begin with, just like patients should be given better food at the hospital. I'll never forget being in, in Montefiore Hospital, which is a state-of-the-art facility. Uh, and, you know, I get a, a stent placement, but the food was just absolute garbage. 
I was like, where at that time, you know, where was the salmon and salad and, you know, nuts? You know, I was given this, this horrible diet that, uh, you know, kept me hyperglycemic and they didn't seem to care. You just, that, that's what you got to eat. It's like, I had to tell uh, my, you know, relatives, uh, Hey, can you, you know, bring me a jar of nuts or, you know, bring me, uh, you know, a, a, a can of salmon. You know, so that, that was, that was the way to, to that I had to kind of hold myself over because just the food was just so bad. What, you know, uh, I just, I'm just wondering, you know, cause we all have, I mean, we're in, you know, I'm here on social media, Zach's out there, you know, breaking world records and running. We're all trying to be examples to say, you know, food is important um, as is exercise and so on and so forth. But what, what can be achieved through, through political, uh, political change? I mean, is it, is it, is it uh, you know, I, you're running for office. Uh, my assumption is because you want to make a difference. Why do you feel that you're able to do that? What, what, could, what could legitimately done? I mean, we don't, we, I, mean, I mean, the other thing I would say to you, two, two things, Sean. What's our, what's, what is our alternative? I mean, this is the system we have in place, so we ought to make use of it, number one. You know, and second, people, you know, we're, we're really a disconnected society. It, it, we're disconnected from our civics. We're disconnected from our food. Because people really understood the, what food represents uh, in terms of our health and well-being. We would be approaching it a whole lot differently than we have as a society. And it's truly unfortunate. And we are reaping the consequences of those choices, just like in civics. It's like, listen, we as a country, as a society, as a state, as a locality, everybody pays taxes. And those taxes fund all kinds of things, among them health care and among them scientific research. And, you know, we, we, we use the, we set our priorities and then we direct our resources to that. And so I would say to people who have benefited from a carnivore diet or, you know, like in my case, it's like, we should be asking for the research for this, demanding it because um, there's no accountability that we're getting on the research paths that we've been on. Uh, you know, we're not getting answers to the diabetes crisis. More and more people are becoming obese. More and more people are becoming diabetic. What is going on? And, and so we have to, you know, we, we have to refocus our, our priorities and our research and our investigations uh, in, in these areas. And so being in office, you do have that power uh, and it's an accountable power uh, because you will have the ability to hold public hearings, um, fund research and set research priorities, working along with the rest of the legislature and the executive branch, uh, the governor's office. Uh, and, and so that's why it becomes important. And also when you're struggling to choose whether, you know, we have a $6 billion uh, deficit in New York, where the governor is going to make two and a half billion dollars in cuts to the most vulnerable population in, in my state, the people who are on Medicaid. And here's a way where if we applied some intelligence in the type two diabetes space, we could actually reduce those costs and actually take the pressure off and direct those savings towards that deficit to reduce that deficit. And so, um, that, that, that's where 
being an elected official, a public official serves a purpose. So, you know, that, that's, that's what's possible when you, when you run for office, but unless you run, you know, nothing's going to change at the very least when you run for office, you can get your issues out there. Because when I talk to people, I tell them my story and they're very interested. And if they happen to have type two diabetes or some other chronic illness, they start to really think they go, wow, you really, you eat this way and you know, you look good and you're in, you're in good health and you're off your prescription drugs. You know, that's pretty good stuff. So that's kind of an overview of what's the, the political possibility of, of approaching this issue from a public policy standpoint. Plus, bottom line, another thing that you'd be interested, you need somebody to defend. Meat is being attacked unfairly. Uh, and uh, unless you have, uh, you know, voices and people at the table, you know, as the saying goes, if you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. That's kind of like nature's law of public policy. So be represented. All right, folks, this episode of Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox is a meat delivery company that brings you high quality beef, chicken, pork, salmon, and scallops. What does this mean? All products are natural and humanely raised or sustainably wild caught, as is the case with their salmon and scallops. If you are concerned with how the animals you eat were raised, rest assured, ButcherBox partners with farmers who are inspired by Dr. Temple Grandin, a member of the Humane Farm Animal Care Program's scientific committee. Their beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished, the chicken is organic, and the pork is heritage breed with no added sugar. So head over to ButcherBox.com and place an order today, and don't forget to enter promo code HPO for a discount. Thank you for supporting one of our long-standing sponsors. Now back to the show, Antonio. I th- like some of the stuff you said. I think is really interesting. And uh, one thing I w- I'd like to ask you, because you probably have a unique like perspective of this, would be um, when I think of just just the government involvement in kind of food and nutrition and things like that. I kind of see it from, from maybe a couple ways. For one, I'm like on the same page as you in terms of, I think it's, it's what we have and it can be a powerful lever to pull in terms of getting resources in the right place. I think a lot of times people forget that when we get these cool new things or these advancements in technology and all this stuff, a lot of that started at the university level through research, like you mentioned, which is oftentimes tax funded uh, research and stuff like that. So I think like channeling money into the education system is a good idea in a lot of different levels, like food stuff included, where I get a little cringy, I think, with government involvement is when we start pointing to one specific pathway as this is how Americans should eat if they want optimal health or something like that. Correct. And Absolutely. I think we saw that with like, yeah, with like the food, food period. And, and what I, what I kind of see with that is um, I'm not, I, I don't want to completely disparage the food pyramid, but I think part of the problem with that process is we kind of set up a situation where people were reactive to poor health versus proactive. So like when I was a kid and then high school and all that stuff in college, you know, I could eat a lot of kind of, I could kind of basically defy 
the food pyramids logic or any nutritional advocates logic and be, be just fine. And I think a lot of people are like yeah. that and they find themselves in their like mid twenties. And now all of a sudden all these problems start popping up and they're forced to react versus avoiding it altogether in the first place. So to me, it means we need to start embedding some of this information. And what I think would be cool would be to have like options for folks where it's like, this is a way you can go that could potentially be healthy that you could explore. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. And ultimately, as you're like growing through middle school and high school, you're kind of learning the ins and outs, the pros and cons of all these different, different ways to feed yourself. And then ultimately maybe get to your early mid twenties with armed with a ton of information and some personal experience with a variety of different things and better able to kind of navigate those as adults versus trying to relearn them when you're going to work for 50 hours a week and managing a family and a budget and all this other stuff. Sure. I mean, you go, you raise a good point because, but it's something that we have to think about in terms of what is the role of government. I'm interested in the role of government is not being the controller, but being the referee, the fair umpire, the, uh, uh, the entity that assures a level playing field and sets rules that everybody has to play by and, and, and encouraging uh, fair competition uh, and, and having accountable mechanisms built in in order to so, so that we can make corrections where there need to be corrections to be made. Unfortunately, um, you know, we live in a time where government seems to be protecting interests rather than playing that role that I described, which is really the role that, that they're best suited for, which is being an umpire, being a referee and establishing rules of the, of the playing fields that everybody can participate on. And then when it comes to diet, I think it's a very misguided uh, and, and we're paying for it and very misguided policy a goal of having a one-size-fits-all diet approach uh, for all human beings when clearly the diet that may be suitable for one person is completely different or may not be suitable for another. A type 2 diabetic really will not do well on a diet that's high in carbohydrate, which is the, you know, the, the food pyramid that we have now. And so there needs to be flexibility. And clearly, if people are doing well uh, health-wise, you know, doing a carnivore diet or a keto carnivore diet or whatever their diet is, then they should be allowed to and uh, should not be interfered with in doing that. In fact, we should be studying and understanding why are they doing well? Why, you know, how is it that you and Sean Baker that eat a hundred percent meat diet are athletic, uh, you know, you're, you're human performance outliers. You guys are in, you're a superior top athlete, top condition, um, in, you know, and, and just beating records and out there, what is going on such that, um, you're able to achieve that? What is it, what is unique about your metabolism and also what's going on in the food that you're eating? We should be, we should be welcoming the inquiry into that because it's actually very exciting, but to demonize meat, and to demonize one particular type of diet, if it, you know, I say to people, you know, and I even tell this to even to vegans, if being a vegan works for you, God bless you. It, you know, go for it. Keep doing it. Just don't impose it on me and don't uh, expect that it's not going to work for me. But if it works for you, great. And 
On the whole issue about attacking meat on terms of animal welfare, I do agree that we need to take better care and treat the animals um, better, uh, especially when you're these, in these large factories. Um, but it's the cycle of life. Um, we need life in order to have life, you know, life is sacrificed, whether, uh, you know, whether it's plant or animal, but life is giving itself up in order so that you and I can still be here another day. Um, so go ahead. Yeah. Hey, Tony, yeah, just to be, uh, to be, uh, accurate, Jack is not on a hundred percent carnivorous diet. All he does at times do that. And he eats a lot of meat, but he does, he does include some carbohydrate in there just to clarify. Yeah, that. no, no, I mean, that, 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 that's fine. That's why, yeah. but you guys, yeah. you, you, you see, you're doing what's working for you. I mean, right. who am I to say, uh, Zach, stop, change your diet, or how dare you? Or who am I to say to you, uh, you know, stop what you're doing? I mean, when I saw you, you looked, you looked, you looked, Sean, you looked better than when I saw you when we were, when we got together in Las Vegas, uh, uh, yeah, you I mean, know, I, two I, years ago. So this is, you know, you're, you're doing well. So why yeah. am I going to tell you to stop? Right, exactly. Um, so, Tony, I want to talk, I mean, because you've mentioned this and we've talked about this. You know, you said that running for office is an educational experience. You're learning a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of. Uh, Harsh reality. You know, a lot of, a lot of partiality, a lot of, a lot of, you know, nastiness that goes into that. But one of the things you talk about is, you know, there's some realities about getting elected and you've got, a, you've got a tremendous background in, uh, you know, working in the political scene, you know, behind the scenes. I know you worked with Dr. Robert Atkins years ago, uh, but it comes down to, I mean, winning, winning an election, you have to have enough capital to do so. And I know that's- Votes and money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the thing. And, and I know there are a lot of people out there that listen to this podcast that are frustrated by the, the direction we're headed with nutrition, with health, and they want to make a difference and they don't know how to make a difference. And so how do the, how does, how can they help someone like you, uh, you know, get into office so you, you can make a difference and, and, and do it on a larger scale than I can as an individual. What, what. I, I, I appreciate that, Sean. I mean, basically it just comes down to this. Even if you don't live in the 38th senatorial district, if you are a, a resident uh, of the United States, uh, a, uh, or a citizen of the United States, you can contribute to my campaign. And the, and the good news is, is that you may not think that five, 10, 15, 20 bucks, my, my average contributor is around $25. Um, if, if everybody who cared about this issue were to make a contribution, it's like voting with your pocketbook. Every time you make a contribution to a political candidate, you're basically saying, I'm, I'm voting for this particular issue or stand that's important to me because that individual, that candidate embodies that issue for me. And I want that person to get to office so that they can be a voice. So if you know, you want to help me out, uh, just go to my website. Like you hear a lot of people and it's very easy. It's T O N Y the number four N Y.com Tony for New York.com. There's a donate button there. You can contribute whatever amount you like. And, uh, you know, even a small donation will make a lot of difference uh, because uh, as the scenario goes, um, you know, I talked when I got into this campaign, I needed a, a consultant to tell me, well, you're going to need to raise a lot of money. And so I thought about, well, gee, wouldn't it be interesting if I had 
several thousand contributors at 20 or $25. And that would send a message to the world that um, this is a candidate that actually has a constituency and he has the money coming from regular people. You see, special interests contribute to political candidates because they believe those candidates are going to defend their special interests. You know, I don't have any of that. You know, I don't have any corporate PAC money. Um, you know, I don't have, uh, you know, any, you know, my, my biggest donor is uh, at that, you know, two people give me $500. Um, and then the rest have been really small donations. Uh, and, but, you know, it, I'm, in a, I'm in a very important time in my campaign where we're working to go out and collect ballots, uh, petitions to, to be on the ballot. And so really, if your friends want to help me, Anybody watching this, please go to my website, Tony4NewYork, T-O-N-Y-4NY.com, and make a contribution of whatever you feel. I really appreciate it. You have my commitment, and you know me, Sean, now for many years, uh, that I'm a serious guy, uh, and I will do what I say, and I will represent this issue, and I will defend this community in the halls of government because we do need to be defended and uh, protected. Tony, I think uh, one thing you mentioned I think is really interesting because like when I think of politicians in general, uh, from, you know, my relatively short experience in, in my lifetime is just like what you mentioned is like a lot of folks are either willing or more or less forced due to the system into taking kind of like a super PAC or like, you know, packed up corporate PAC type stuff where now they're, when they get into the office and start planning for their reelection, uh, they're thinking, well, how do I appease the people who gave me a ton of money, the super PACs and stuff like that? And then how do I also, you know, make sure my constituent is going to come and still vote for me. And it seems like this is kind of like a, a little bit of a tug of war or a balancing act that causes maybe unneeded compromises. If, in an, in, if we were to look at it from like a true democratic lens and to sure, me, absolutely. Yeah. And to me, the answer to that is try to get some of that out of politics and getting it out of politics would then allow someone like yourself, who's, already trying to do it in a way where you're relying on small donor contributions, which in my mind says, well, who are you going to try to appease then? I said, well, a ton of little people who are contributing small amounts at the end of the day, that's how you get reelected then if that's where your, your finances are leaned on. And I'd like to see that across the board if possible. I think that'd be really cool. And I think it would put, put a lot more voice into the average person versus kind of having money drive things. Uh, do you think, because I, I see this also as something that is historically been a big problem, but it's becoming maybe a little less of a problem just due to like the amount of reach you can get on your own through social media, through the internet and things like that. Is that, is that something you think will take care of itself when we see kind of the trail like that kind of get blazed by guys like Bernie Sanders, who's done a lot of that at a presidential scale, or do you still think we need to get in there and, and make like kind of get that money out of politics from a- Oh no, we, we, we need to reverse uh, Citizens United, and we need to establish public financing uh, of, of elections. I mean, here's the reality. I'm not a rich guy. Uh, I'm a middle-class guy. And running for office is almost a full-time job. And it's very hard when you have to also keep doing what you're doing and pay your bills and all these other kinds of things. And the system is almost slanted towards the very well off. 
And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, who do you want representing you? I think, I think we want people representing us who have not the wealthiest, but the people who actually have the experience, life experience that can speak from many different perspectives uh, and present things in an intelligent manner. And, and in order to get laws passed, you don't shove an issue down the throat of your opponent. You have to work and build a consensus. You have to compromise. And you even have to be willing to come back after you get a bill passed. We have a controversial issue here in New York on bail reform and uh, where there are, you know, uh, there are the people that are upset about it and there are genuine concerns. And I just say a good legislator says, hey, you know, we always pass laws with good intentions, but sometimes there are unintended consequences or unintended inequities. And we have to be willing to go back to quickly address them, not leave them out there so that they fester like a sore, get people really upset. We need to be responsive to the people. So, um, you know, my aspiration is to represent the everyday person because I, because as a lawyer, I deal with the people who are struggling and struggling and, and, and dealing with, with uh, issues where the government has failed them. I want to make the government work for people. I want the government to be responsive to people. I also, at the same, at the same time, I don't want to spend my life as a career politician. Um, I was given a gift of an extension on life after I had my heart attack. And um, I'm grateful every day because um, I got to see, uh, after that, my son, whose picture is behind me, I got to see him graduate from law school. I got to see him get sworn into the bar. And God willing, I'll get to see him marry his college sweetheart later this summer. And there, these are things that you don't, you can't put a value on, but it's because I took charge, I got informed and I used the power of food to help me, um, you know, recover. And I want the same thing for, for everybody. I mean, everybody deserves good health. Why do we have a sickness management system? Why have we made the system uh, such that sickness is what's profitable and not healthcare or health can't really compete, you know, uh, it's kind of a, a really uh, a, a, a really nasty situation where you think about it. If I didn't change what I did, I'd probably, who knows if I would still be alive today after the first heart attack. And second, you know, you know, how many more medications would I be on? I remember coming out of the hospital in April 2014 and being given five prescription drugs and being told I was going to pretty much be on all of these for the rest of my life. I was like, what? And I was only 50 years old at the time. I go, no, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so I thank the good Lord that along my journey, I get to meet folks like you and Sean and other people that I've met. And it's in my commitment and passion that I want to take this uh, to where it needs to go and which is in the halls of government because we're never going to we're never going to change anything, and we're never really going to become a, a healthier country unless we really start approaching this. And by the way, with the advent of this coronavirus pandemic, we are about to witness an event where nutrition is going to play a critical role, whether people survive or not, because there are no good treatments yet. There's no vaccine yet for the coronavirus. Whether you survive will depend on how good your immune system is. And the only way that you can help your immune system is by having a good understanding of nutrition and eating the right foods. 
Yeah, there was an interesting article that came out on the 20 uh, or the 18th of February that's put out looking at uh, the immunologic uh, benefits of eating compounds in meat like taurine, creatine, carnosine, uh, answering. Selenium. Yeah, and L-hydroxyproline. And so that, I mean, I agree. I mean, anytime a, a disease a pandemic epidemic goes to the population, it takes out the people that aren't as robust, aren't as healthy, the ones that have inferior nutrition, I think are at risk. Tony, let me talk to me about the schedule. Uh, you're running in the primary right now. And, and, and June 23rd. So June 23rd is a primary. Uh, and you know, you're running in a district that is, you know, if, if you're not a Democrat, you're not going to win. I mean, that's just correct. You know, it's, it is a, it is a Demo democratically favored district. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, uh, you know, if you win the primary, you know, that's basically a pretty good indication that you win the, the Senate seat, uh, for that part of the country. And that's the, the reality of the politics where, where you are. Um, so June 23rd, what, uh, what has to happen between now and then uh, from your side? I mean, obviously- uh, it, Just raise a lot of money and shake- yeah. no, We're not going to be shaking hands now. It's, it's just basically talking and maybe fist bumping because you know, now uh, with uh, the whole coronavirus, uh, it's like literally in my office, you know, we have the, uh, the, uh, the Clorox wipes, uh, Lysol, and uh, the sanitizer, and basically telling people, just get in the habit of washing your hands. Wash your hands, wash your hands, clean your, your uh, cell phones, uh, start thinking about being mindful, that's the word, of all the ways you interact with other people and how other people interact with you and take steps to reduce or limit your exposure. We don't know. I mean, we do know about this uh, coronavirus. It's, it's highly contagious, uh, much more contagious than the influenza virus. Uh, and uh, it also has that interesting presentation that, you know, eight out of 10 patients just get like a really bad, you know, respiratory illness and then that's it, they're done. But for the two out of those 10, it becomes a literally a nightmare because uh, the fevers go as high as 105 degrees, uh, you know, to the point where the patients have febrile seizures and then they develop, uh, you know, the, the, the SARS uh, syndrome, the, the uh, respiratory stru stress syndrome where they, they can't breathe and they need to be intubated and, you know, and then they die from not being able to breathe. And it's scary. We, you know, we don't have a, a vaccine yet. We don't have large-scale testing yet. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're being called on the mat by, by nature. Uh, I also find interesting, um, even though I'm not a doctor, but maybe I should have been, but I, I found interesting in terms of understanding the virology of it. Uh, I found in terms uh, that, that uh, the corona, the, the COVID-19 virus, the science is reporting that it's a virus that actually robs the host of selenium, among other things that it does to do to, to protect itself and to continue its viral replication. And it brought back to mind, like, gee, I want to make sure that I'm getting, you know, selenium in my diet. No, no but here's the thing. The average person thinks, well, of course, take selenium. Well, if you take too much selenium, it's toxic. So you have to make sure that you understand and, and know if you're going to supplement you know, that you are properly monitoring yourself and you're discussing it with your doctor. Yeah, that's good. Some good points, Tony. Yeah, I think, like I said, there's, there's some common sense things you can do. Just, just try to be as healthy as possible and keep your nutrition on point. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, one of the reasons why 
you know, we see these spreads of uh, respiratory disease. This is because humans now live clustered in cities and, you know, we, we, yeah. we you know, it's, 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 you know, we, we, we do things that we would have never done, you know, thousands of years ago because we just have so many people living in one place. Zach, I know Tony's, we want to respect Tony's time. I know we wanted to make this one a relatively brief one. Anything else you want to get, get or share, Tony or Zach, any other comments? I think we did, uh, we covered some cool stuff. And, uh, you know, Tony, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. If you want to remind our listeners where your website is, I'll also make sure I link that in the show notes. So if they want to go over and throw you a few bucks and help you get that. I really uh, appreciate that, that Zach. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, T-O-N-Y, the number four, N-Y.com, Tony4NewYork.com. I want to thank you guys. Uh, I admire you. You guys, I want you to know you inspire me. Um, I go to the gym uh, just about every day. Uh, and I also lift weights about every other day. And I say, gee, I'm not going to be uh, like Sean Baker or Zach Bitter, but, you know, I'll keep trying. And as, as long as I keep trying, I'll get better and better. Uh, and certainly, um, uh, I certainly feel all the much better for that. And, and I really salute the work that you guys are doing. Uh, you inspire a lot of people. Uh, and so um, thank you for having me. And everyone out there, please take good care of yourself, take care of your loved ones, get informed. Uh, and uh, I look forward to coming back and then uh, talking about specific legislative measures and, and so forth. And I uh, intend, uh, God willing, I get elected and I have a hearing, I have the power to hold some public hearings. We will be talking about diet much more serious. You can count on it. We have to do something about the obesity problem and the type 2 diabetes problem that's devastating our country and, and state budgets. Thank you, Tony. That's, that's good stuff. And, and good luck to you. And, and like I said, we're, we're happy to support what you're doing. Thank you. God bless you, my friend. Hey, folks. Human Performance Outliers podcast is growing and due to the growth, we are looking to take on some new sponsors. So if you feel like your company or organization would be a good fit for our audience, please do not hesitate to reach out to hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.